Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. 73% of Americans are overweight or obese. We spend $71 billion annually on weight loss products, programs, and gadgets, and another $35 billion on gym memberships. In spite of all that time, money invested, the sad reality is 80% of those that lose weight will gain it all back within a year, and in 16 months, 95% will end up just as heavy or weight even more. Our guest today is David Medansky, author of Break the Chains of Dieting. Not only did he discover how to successfully lose weight, but he also figured out how to keep it off. That's the key. If you're struggling with yo-yo diets, shakes, supplements, and never-ending programs, don't go anywhere. Your wait is finally over, and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest was told by his doctor if he didn't lose weight, he had a 95% chance of having a heart attack. He tried several traditional diets, shakes, supplements, and exercise programs, but nothing worked. Refusing to give up, he went outside the box and discovered the blueprints to achieving permanent weight loss. He not only shed 50 pounds, but has kept it off. He's now on a mission to help others attain permanent weight loss. His new book, Break the Chains of Dieting, exposes why popular diets and weight loss programs don't work, and in some cases can even be harmful. Welcome to the show, the overweight person's best friend, David Medansky. Thank you, Dr. Freeman. Oh, great to have you on the show, my friend. And, uh, you know, your book, you, you share why you're not a fan of going on a diet. That's what people do when they want to lose weight. Tell us, you know, why these ladies' fad diets aren't the best way to achieving permanent weight loss. Well, fads stands for fat and desperate, and they don't work because they're temporary, extreme, hard to stick with, and potentially dangerous. And a diet is sort of like a goal. It has a finish line. It's like a sprint. When people reach their goal, they revert back to their old eating habits, and that's why they regain the weight. I like to think of a diet as changing your eating habits. So it's not going on a diet, but changing your diet. And think of it as a marathon. You're changing your lifestyle and eating behaviors. You want to keep on going. There's no finish line in this marathon. So that that's what I, I like to look at as far as people improving their eating behaviors and not going on a diet. Again, diets are designed to fail. So if you didn't lose weight or keep it off on that last diet, you're not to blame. The diet is to blame. Yeah, good point. And it was an honor writing the forward to your book because, you know, the Greek word diet is diatia, which means way of living. That's what your book emphasizes, not the latest pills, shakes, and fad diets. The key to breaking the chains of dieting is to focus on lifestyle, right? That's how we keep it off, and that's what you were able to do. Exactly. And we talk about nine must-have principles for healthy eating and weight loss. If people just followed the first two principles, they would see significant improvement in their overall health. Right. That's so true. You know, the interesting thing about weight loss diets and programs is, and people always ask me which ones work, and I always shock them. I say, they all work. I know people who've lost weight using Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and fasting, going plant-based keto and paleo. But as you share in your book, the tough part is keeping the weight off. Share with us why people can initially lose weight, but they gain it back. They gain it back because they do not change their eating habits and lifestyle. They revert back to the old bad habits. One thing that people can do is, you know, focus on what they want to eat that they enjoy 
and not dwell on the negative aspects of what they should not have. We all like to indulge and, and have that you know piece of chocolate cake or pie or other goodies. However, if you focus on enjoying the apple or pear or the blueberries and strawberries, then you change a negative mindset to a positive mindset. The other thing is diets are designed to fail because the weight loss industry is a $71 billion industry. At any one time, there's 145 million Americans on a diet and 45 million Americans will start a diet each year. The average person will attempt 126 diets during their lifetime. If diets worked, we wouldn't be having all these people repeating diets after diets after diet. So it's lifestyle and eating habits and changing your behavior. And one of the first principles I talk about is just drinking more water because 75% of the U.S. population is chronically dehydrated. 73% are overweight. There's a direct correlation between not drinking enough water and being overweight. Our bodies are 60 to 70% water, not soda, not diet soda, not fruit juices or fruit beverages. So if people would drink more water and eliminate the soda and diet soda, they would see improvement in their energy levels, their alertness, and they would feel better. Yeah, good point. I think uh, some people listening uh, would disagree with you and they believe that their body is 60% soda because they drink so much of it. (laughs) 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 I mean, the average person drinks between three and five sodas a day, so it is definitely uh, one of the issues. One thing that that, that I want to discuss with you is is the confusion out there. You know, we went from being told breakfast is the most important meal to, oh, no, it's better to skip breakfast. And for decades, we were told several small meals throughout the day speeds up the metabolism and now the popular fad diet is eating just one meal a day that's what they're telling us what's your opinion what's the best eating plan to follow the best eating plan to follow is what works for you because we're all different we're all unique we all have different lifestyles so you have to find out what's going to work best for your body Uh, breakfast is an important meal however that doesn't mean you have to eat your breakfast when you first get up So a lot of people can wait, you know, a couple hours. And a lot of people will do what they call an intermittent fast without realizing it. For example, if you stop eating about three hours before you go to sleep, and you go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night, you stop eating at 7 o'clock in the evening, and your first meal is at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, technically that's an intermittent fast because it's longer than 12 to 14 hours. So people do things without realizing it. The problem today is people are snacking, watching TV, and doing other things and they're not realizing that they're eating right before they go to sleep which is the worst time to eat yeah that's a good point you know one of the the principles that you share in your book is the importance of eating slowly so it's not necessarily what you're eating but they're eating so fast everybody's in a hurry nowadays they scarf down their meals share with us why the speed we eat our food plays a role in our weight it takes our brain about 20 minutes to realize that food has entered our stomach and when we gulp down our food, we don't give our brain time to allow it to figure out that we've eaten enough, so we overconsume. Also, we do what I call mindless eating. If we're distracted with working at our desk or working while we're on the computer or watching TV, we'll go through the bag of chips, the pretzels, the cookies, and look around and say, where did it go? Not realizing we ate the whole thing. So focus on your food. Mark David uh, wrote The Slow Down Diet, and he was very 
insightful when he said, if you take five minutes for breakfast, give yourself 10, and give yourself a minimum of 30 minutes for lunch and 30 minutes for dinner. That way you can take time to enjoy it. The other thing I like to point out is our food portions have been supersized without us realizing it. In the 1900s, the average size dinner plate was nine inches in diameter. Today, it's 12 inches. Not only that, in restaurants, the serving platters are 13 to 15 inches. Yet in Europe, the serving, the dinner plate is still nine inches. So I tell people, if you're going to a restaurant, get a to-go box right away, cut your meal in half, take half to go and eat the other half. That way you're eating the right amount of you know, food and you get two meals for the price of one, so you're saving money. Yeah, that's good advice. And and like you said, if you in front of you and it's there, you're going to eat it all. So right away from the get-go, cut it in half. And I love what you said, talk about mindless eating because so many people, they watch TV or a movie noshing on food and they're not thinking of what they're eating. They're watching the movie and putting it in their mouth, watching them. And, you know, then the, the popcorn's gone, the pretzels, the, the uh, potato chips are gone. What is something that people can do when they have that urge to eat, even boredom? Sometimes when people are bored, they just, they eat. What, what, what can take their mind off of it? Well, they can go for a walk. They can call a friend. They can read a book. They can count out, uh, Raw nuts, if you're able to eat nuts, there's a lot of per- people that are allergic to them. But what I like to do is, you know, count out eight to ten almonds and, you know, raw, unsalted, and make a little game of how slow I can eat them rather than taking a handful and gulping it down. That's a good tip. I do that too. So I'll do, I'll, I'll just bite a piece of it if I'm watching a movie and then the piece. And if so, an almond might last me maybe you know, a minute, just because I purposely, otherwise I'm putting a handful and shoving in my mouth. Same with the, you know, the popcorn, you know, I used to be a big popcorn eater and now it's very occasional. It's my only weak indulgence, but I'll get that piece of popcorn and I'll just bite off little pieces of it just because I don't want to just grab a handful, right? Right. I, I remember you writing about the white fluffy stuff in your book, Food Sanity, which is an excellent book. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it was one of my, it was my weekend. And you know, when I get off popcorn, I lost the weight, but I didn't give up my small little joy of it I just do it occasionally and it's organic and it's air pop but I realize you know that popcorn's not the best thing but for me I like that constant grabbing you know but like you said you you, you do it slowly mindless eating it's so true talk to me about exercise I know the old calories in calories out belief says you can lose weight by simply burning off more calories than you consume what's your view on this common belief well there's two things I like to address on that first not all calories are equal for example, if you eat a medium-sized apple, it's about 90 to 100 calories. However, it takes your body 25 calories to digest it, so it's a net of 75 calories. If you eat the Hershey bar, which is 125 calories, you get no nutritional value, and it takes your body zero calories to burn it, so it's a net of 125 calories. Big difference. The other thing with exercise, people feel they need to exercise to lose weight, and that's completely wrong. Exercise is important for overall health and fitness. However, 100% of your weight is determined based on what you put into your mouth. You can always lose weight by watching what you eat. However, a poor diet will never uh, compensate for, you know, you cannot exercise enough to get compensate for a poor diet. So there's a lot of things. The other thing is with the exercise, People don't realize that when they exercise, they're replacing muscle with fat. Fat and muscle weigh the exact same. Five pounds is five pounds. However, muscle takes up a lot less room than fat. And so what happens is people will go to the gym for two or three weeks to exercise, 
and the scale won't move because again they're replacing the fat with muscle however their clothes start fitting looser i had a, a client that was doing things for three weeks and he was complaining the scale hadn't moved and i asked him i said are you exercising he says yeah i'm walking five miles i'm riding my bike i said how do your clothes feel he said well they're loose and people are asking me if i've lost weight i said well don't go by the scale go by how your clothes fit yeah, that's so true. And I agree with you about you can't outrun your fork. I've interviewed some of the most respected personal trainers in the world. And surprisingly, they all agree exercise isn't the best way to shed unwanted pounds. You lose weight in the kitchen, you get toned in the gym. And often, you know, when you exercise, it makes you hungrier. So I know people that exercise and gain weight because they, they get hungry. So they don't worry about what they're putting in their mouth. So that's a good point. I'm curious, though, if, um, if you were to visit someone's kitchen that's struggling with their weight and you remove two common items that may be a contributing factor to weight loss challenges what would you pick you're in their kitchen you said this has got to go what's going well the first thing is ketchup because it's mostly sugar and people use a lot of ketchup and the second thing would probably be anything with the artificial sweeteners you know the creamers that they put in their coffee um, has a lot of the artificial sweeteners which actually causes weight gain especially the aspartame aspartame has 92 known side effects and people are like if a diet coke is zero calories how does it cause weight gain i explained to them that number one the aspartame inhibits your body's ability to absorb vitamins minerals and nutrients so it's going into starvation mode plus the aspartame increases your craving for sweetness yeah, it's so true. And, you know, it's it's funny how people think artificial sweetener is healthy. And I say, what does the word artificial mean? And they go, huh? I go, it means fake. It's created in a lab by chemists. It's artificial. And then it hits them. It's like they never really looked at the word before. And when you throw it at them, the word artificial means fake. Who wants fake food? We need real food, right? Ex exactly. And there's a commercial from Chiffon Margarine back in the 1970s where the actresses playing Mother Nature says, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. And that's what's going on, is people don't realize by using the artificial and fake stuff, especially the imitation meats now, they're fooling Mother Nature, and there's going to be negative consequences for their health in the future. The problem with the food today is it's toxic and it's poison. However, you don't feel it right away. It builds up over 10, 20, 30 years, so that when you get to be my age, which is over 60, all the negative things start appearing because of all the bad things we've been putting to our body. The good news is our bodies are incredible machines and when we reverse our eating habits and start eating healthy, we can reverse a lot of the damage. A lot of people may not realize that type two diabetes is reversible and it's preventable. Yeah, good point, good point. And one thing that we have to bring up, you know, diet's important, but let's talk about stress. Stress causes our appetite hormone to increase, and it increases cortisol, which causes belly fat. And one thing I admire about you is you're even keel. You're a mellow guy. What advice can you share to help our stressed-out listeners chill out more? Well, there's several things. I, what I like to do is light a candle every once in a while, just take a quiet moment to, you know, calm down, de-stress, uh, I used to think stress was the number one reason people overate. What I've learned, however, since then is convenience is the number one reason people overeat. It's easier and more convenient to buy a frozen meal and throw it in the microwave. It's easier to go through the drive-through, easier, more convenient to order a pizza, pick up a bucket of chicken. Or now they're even having food delivered to your house already prepared. Doesn't mean it's the healthiest food or prepared in the best ways. Also, people 
don't even need to go to the grocery stores anymore. They just call in their orders and it's delivered to them. So we're getting lazier as we're you know, getting more technology advanced. And that's detrimental to our overall health. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, most people by now know eating healthy is important. The challenge for most, as you said, is convenience. And that's where fast food comes in, the drive through It's quick. The kids are in the back. And what do you want? And it's done. For people that are using the not enough time to eat healthy excuse, what advice do you have for those folks? Take the time. <laughs> how, how much time is it to take 10 minutes to eat a breakfast or 30 minutes to eat a lunch or a dinner? or you know a meal make sure you're drinking water if you wake up in the morning like i do and drink 16 ounces right away and then drink water throughout the day and and before each meal have a mid you know glass of water 16 ounces midday there's little things you can do to keep your body healthy and feed with the right fuel our bodies are incredible machines and the food is our fuel for our body and most people don't think of food as fuel for their body they look at food as comfort, as socializing for entertainment. Uh, rarely do we look at food as fuel for the body. And, and that's where you need to change your relationship with food and how you view it. Yeah, that's so true. And, and a big thing with the relationship with foods, for most, it comes down to marketing. That can have a big influence on our choices. Words like diet, sugar-free, fat-free, certified vegan aren't necessarily synonymous with healthy. Some of the most overweight people I know, David, they're vegans. <laughs> what should people look for when they go to a grocery store with all these confusing labels bombarding them as trying to entice them to buy the products? Read the ingredients. That's the number one thing. I'll give two examples. The first example is a box of spaghetti on uh, marketing. On the front, it'll say zero grams of fat, zero sodium, uh, so much protein, and, and so many calories. What they omit to tell you is that it's 42 to 46 grams of carbohydrates. And it's not a complex carbohydrate, it's a simple carbohydrate, which is detrimental to your health. So on the front of the box, it may look like, oh, this is great, it's gonna be healthy for me. It won't. The other thing is, Tuna. I like eating tuna fish. If you read the front of the can, it'll say packed in water. However, most of it, if you turn it over and read the ingredients, it'll say tuna, water, vegetable broth. Well, what's in the vegetable broth? They can have up to 168 different compounds in the vegetable broth, and you don't know what's in there. So there's only a couple places. Costco is one, Kirlin, and a couple other that they sell the tuna that says tuna and water and occasionally sea salt. So the main thing is to read the ingredients. The other thing on the nutritional fact panel label, they always put in big print what the sugars are, the sodium, the calories. People don't always look at the serving size, which is different than the uh, portions that they, they say. Uh, they don't look at the ingredients, which is the very small fine print. And that's where the information that you need to see if you want to even consume it would be. Yeah, that's true. I saw something uh, yesterday. I was at a store. It said 100% uh, real aloe vera juice. And I go, oh, wow. And I look on the back. It says contains 8% aloe juice. How do they get away with that? Because that small 8% that's in the product is 100% aloe vera juice. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a little fine print. It's like, eh, it's not really 100% aloe. It's 92% water and other things. And that's the thing you're saying is look for the other things. You know, Don't just go by the headline that's on the front of the, uh, of the product as well. I'm curious, what do you consider the biggest misconception or may, maybe a myth out there when it comes to losing weight what do people you've worked with 
believe to be factual that leaves you shaking your head? The biggest myth out there is where I see the national brands advertise lose 16, 20, 30 pounds a month guaranteed. Well, you may lose the weight, however, it may not be healthy and it's not sustainable, nor will you keep it off. What I tell people is, would you like to weigh 24 to 48 pounds lighter by this time next year? And most people say yes, that need to lose the weight. Then I ask, can you lose two, three, four pounds a month? Not a week, a month. And most people say, well, yeah, that's doable. If you lose two, three, four pounds a month on average for 12 consecutive months, within a year, you're 24 to 48 pounds lighter. After all, most of us didn't put our weight on overnight. We're not going to lose it all overnight. The key is to be patient and give your body time to adjust to your new eating habits. Yeah, that's such a good point because people, they want it now. Everybody wants that quick fix. And I had a patient says, oh, I stopped that diet I was on. I, I, go, I thought you said it was working. Yeah, but it ended up being just a pound every um, week or two that I was losing. I'm like, well, how long have you been overweight? She says, 20 years. I go, in six months, you will have lost 30 pounds if you lose that per week, you know? It's, it's, this, it's the bigger picture of the smaller amounts. Little steps still finish the race, right? Exactly. It's the analogy I use in the book is how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How are you going to lose weight? One ounce and one pound at a time. It's not a race to lose the weight. It's a matter of just doing it in a healthy and sustainable manner. So true. Now, your book shares several ways people can lose weight and reduce the risk of having a heart attack, stroke, and type 2 diabetes. And one thing you mentioned is to get more sleep. Share how sleep affects our weight. Why is that important? What researchers have found is, on average, People who are sleep-deprived consume an extra 500 calories per day the next day or, you know, for as long as they're sleep-deprived. However, to lose a pound, you need to reduce your caloric intake, 500 calories per day, for an entire week. So if you're sleep-deprived, you're not giving your body time to digest the food and heal, and then you're increasing your cravings for more calories the next day. The worst thing people can do is those energy drinks. They're just loaded with toxic chemicals. A cup of coffee or a cup of you know green tea or black tea is much more healthier for you. Speaking of coffee, you gotta be aware of Starbucks because a lot of their drinks, their specialty drinks, they'll have 50, 60, 70 grams of sugar in each drink. Yet our bodies, if you're a female, only need about 25 to 30 grams of sugar a day. For a male, it's 25, 30, 35 grams of sugar a day. So some people are getting double, triple the amount of sugar in one drink, and they're having two or three of those drinks a day. Yeah, and there's some great research how drinking your sugar is much worse than even eating it because it just goes right in, makes you fatter, correct? Correct. I like to be drinking. Yeah, I'd like to talk about orange juice because people think orange juice is healthy, and that's a myth. Perfect. You know, orange juice is mostly the sugar. They remove the, the fiber and the other stuff that's healthy for you. So I asked people, would, it takes four to eight orange, medium-sized oranges to make one glass of orange juice. So I asked people, would you eat four to eight oranges at one serving? Well, no. Well, that's what you're consuming for your body when you drink a glass of orange juice. Yeah, that's so true. And you and me are on the same page with the, the juicing. It's better to eat our food than just to drink it for that reason. Plus, you know, we need the fiber, the pulp, the phytonutrients. So you're not a big uh, skip the meal and juice, are you? You're not one of those. No, in fact, I, I like your comment about Jack LaLanne, his juicer, and how he, he never told people that he used the fiber and the remains for baking other products. Uh, 
and he didn't share that information because he wanted to sell more juicers. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm not going to add another step that's confusing. People are like, well, it's not convenient. I just want to juice and drink it all. And, you know, you're skipping a process called eating. And if you if you hear the word, David, it's I always say, drink your food. It just sounds weird to say, drink your food. We're supposed to eat our food, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> People and the are chewing, skipping. Yeah, the chewing <laughs> yeah. adds with the digestion process. It's all part of, you know, how we're designed. Which is also in slow, like you mentioned earlier, you know, to, to chew slow because it tells the brain to process what we're eating. So it all comes back to chewing slowly, eat carefully, you know, choose, and then, uh, you know, don't drink your, your nutrients, especially don't drink the sugar like that's in the that orange juice. That's a good point. You know, eat your orange. Don't drink your orange. It even sounds common sense, doesn't it, when you hear it that way? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sounds good. Hey, in the minute or two we have left, anything else you'd like to share with the listeners on how they can break the chains of dieting? Well, they can get the book at uh, Amazon and other bookstores and Barnes & Noble. The thing different about this book than other books is there's short stories in there, and they're not success stories of other people. They're stories with life lessons, and I've taken those stories and applied the life lessons to eating healthier and improving overall health. And you can also use those stories with their lessons for every aspect of your life. So that's what's different about Break the Chains of Dieting from other weight loss books. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, if you if you want to finally achieve permanent weight loss, I know so many of you out there struggle and you want to reach your optimal health, get your copy of Break the Chains of Dieting. You can do that by going to BreakTheDietChains.com. I think it's a fantastic book, which is why I was happy when David asked me to write the forward. That website, again, is BreakTheDietChains.com. And you can also follow David on Facebook at David Medansky 3 and on LinkedIn, David Medansky, the health maestro. For my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except on Instagram, where you're going to find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard David share something today that would benefit somebody you know, perhaps a family member, friend, relative, next-door neighbor struggling with their weight, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. Information's way too important. Don't keep it to yourself. As I always say, sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned, stay well, and break those chains.